conversation that I think should be pretty interesting. We're going to talk about Shinzo Abe, uh, who, of course, the former Prime Minister of Japan, um, laid to rest this week. Uh, he was attacked and killed during a speech last week. He served as Prime Minister of that country twice, actually. Uh, he did a brief stint uh, in 2006. Then he came back uh, in uh, 2012, and he remained in power for eight years. And his mark on that country is deep, very influential, and just as influential, maybe even more so on the world stage. He really was um, a a very, very influential leader in many capacities, and uh, he has quite a legacy, and we'll see if that's going to be followed up on. But to have a conversation about his legacy and the things that he did, we're going to chat with Jonathan Berkshire Miller, who is Director and Senior Fellow at the McDonald laurier Institute, also a Senior Fellow for the Japan Institute of International Affairs in Tokyo. Jonathan, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Oh, thanks, Jay. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, why don't we just start talking about Abe's legacy? Because like I say, he was he was very influential. There was a lot that happened under his leadership, a very active leader. And, you know, internally, in terms of what happened in Japan, he did bring a lot of change to that country, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. As you said, Abe, this was uh, his second uh, kick at the can. He had one uh, very brief stint from 2006 to 7. Um, and then, I mean, that be honest is the usual for usual Japanese prime ministers they often only last about a year so uh, it may be not seen as so rare uh, here for a prime minister to, to last for about eight years uh, but this was the this made him the longest serving modern day prime minister in Japan and I mean there's changes obviously that he had in Japan I think um, for example you even need to look at the travel map um, most Japanese politicians uh, before Abe didn't travel much out of their country and, and usually stayed home for domestic politics uh, Abe had visited over 100 countries, uh, and I think his desire was not just to do this just to get on the jet and to to visit all sorts of different places, um, but realizing that the severe environment uh, that not only Japan was surrounded by in Northeast Asia mm-hmm. um, with the military challenges from China, et cetera, but that the world, frankly, was going through. Um, and I think, I mean, one of the lasting legacies for Abe um, will be not that he stood up necessarily for the, the, the challenges, the authoritarian challenges around him, but the profound difficulties to the rules-based order right now, um, some of them even coming, frankly, from their U.S. ally uh, from uh, 2016 to 20. So, okay, let's break it down here, because you're right, There's that, that whole situation geographically caused a lot of the issues, uh, or at least not a lot of the initiatives that he brought in. Um, but domestically, what do you think will sort of be the lasting legacy of Abe in terms of the way he, he handled things internally within Japan itself? Well, I think there will be a couple different lasting legacies. One definitely will be on the economic side. I mean, Abe's famous Abenomics uh, economic policy, which was uh, aimed at stimulating Japan's economy and, and really breaking Japan out of this mold that they had been stuck in. They In Japan, they often talk about these lost decades uh, since the early 90s, where we all know Japan's economy was super hyped in the 70s and 80s and was uh, you know slated almost to take over the United States as the largest economy in the world. Uh, and then the bubble popped in Japan and other places in Asia. Abe uh, came to office really trying to reverse this course a little bit and, and re-innovate and invigorate the Japanese economy. And I think there were some successes there. There were some what, some growth uh, that happened. I think some of the structural reforms and changes to Japan's economy still um, they, you know, remains to be seen. So the, one of it is on the economic side. I think the other side, though, is just for the Japanese to be proud to be um, leaders on the international stage, yeah. frankly. He really did um, elevate their standing in the international stage. 
He did. He did. I mean, you know, I would make the analogy that, you know, previous Japanese leaders would maybe walk into a, a you know, a room, conference room at a G7 uh, and people would, you know, respectfully say hi, but they wouldn't really seek them out for, for counsel and advice. Abe Shinzo was the type of leader that, you know, everyone would flock to him and ask Abe what, what was Abe's opinion. And that was really turning the, the page uh, of the traditional story of Japanese leaders. Um. The world order, uh, you make this point in the piece that you wrote, um, you know, how the international community take a look around the world, and some people say it's in peril, and liberal democracy itself is at risk in some areas. Uh, Abe was sort of a defender of that as well, right? I mean, outside of what he did for his country, on the international scene in terms of democracy and uh, that sort of, you know, kind of thinking, he was a champion of that. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, one of the things, and I think this needs to be Abe's lasting legacy, and, you know, he frames it as he calls a free and open Indo-Pacific, which is his part of the world, um, you know, scoping the, the, the Indian Ocean with the Pacific Ocean, and a lot of the challenges obviously come from China. But I think why this is important to the Canadian side and, and other countries is that this is not just about one country. And I think we're seeing this now with, with Russia's brutal prosecution of a conflict in Ukraine. Um, is that if we don't respect the rule of law, if we just uh, have this a la carte approach that sometimes great powers can abuse this and we can sort of have workarounds, um, this is going to have profound impacts in other regions. So I think this is what Abe, um, yeah, he had a bigger vision. It, it might have been focused just primarily initially on Japan and then on his part of East Asia, um, but I think he had a bigger vision uh, that was worth defending. He was, I mean, as every leader is, it's not unanimous that everybody agrees with everything that he does. But in terms of going forward, uh, he's been out of office for a little over a year. What is, uh, in terms of his legacy and some of the initiatives that he started, is that being carried on? And will it um, with the election that was just held? I think it will. I mean, so Japanese politics right now, I mean, I think his successor uh, in large parts, the, the large parts of his vision, whether it's on the Indo-Pacific or whether it's on international institutions, the rules-based order, I think will continue um, in the in the path of Abe. The looming question I do have, and I don't have an answer for this, and I, and I hope that it's a positive answer, but is the leadership component. So, you know, you can maintain policies, you can have similar views, um, but leadership is hard to come by. And I think this was one of the, the points I tried to make in this piece is that Abe was a leader. I mean, he was a, was a giant on the international stage. And I mean, some could argue for a conservative politician, we might not have had a politician like this since Reagan. Um, so we, we, you know, there there is a lack of leadership right now. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I'm not quite convinced yet that we are going to see uh, in Japan or, frankly, elsewhere in the G7 in the coming years. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks very much. That's Jonathan Berkshire Miller, who is a senior fellow at the McDonald-Lurie Institute and a senior fellow at the Japan Institute of International Affairs in Tokyo.